Let's get right to our first story, which is this week, actor and producer Alec Baldwin was formally charged with manslaughter uh, in connection with the fatal shooting on that set of the movie Rust in New Mexico. Also uh, was charged the uh, set's armorer. Uh, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed. And what you need to know, too, is that there was an assistant director who was also charged uh, with negligent use of a deadly weapon, and he has entered a plea deal. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I've just been following this case, and I had no idea about the fact that they ever use real guns on a set. I would have said no, that they would have been all fake guns, uh, but I guess I was wrong about that. But I wanted to get an expert on the show to address what are the protocols, what should have happened happen on this set, what should happen on movie sets when it comes to firearms. And with us, we have one of the country's top experts on the issue, Professor Dan Leonard. He teaches at Chapman University in California and is an expert in film production and set procedures. Welcome to the show, Professor Leonard. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks very much for having me. So let's talk about the rules for handling fire guns, uh, firearms on a movie set. Are there is there like some written set of rules somewhere where you could go to and find what those protocol really are? Yeah, IATSE has safety bulletin that has guidelines. So I wouldn't call them hard and fast rules, but they're best practices that should be followed. Okay. And so just if you could just give me a few of those so we know generally what those uh, what those rules say. Yeah, I mean, so the, the weaponsmith should be the only one handling the weapon uh, and should hand it directly to the talent. Uh, there shouldn't be live ammunition anywhere on set. Um, there should be uh, a check. You know, so you know, I've AD'd before. What I would require my weaponsmith to do was before we handed a weapon to an actor, we would check to make sure that it was empty. They would show it to me, and then they would hand it to the actor, and then it should go directly back to the weaponsmith afterwards. So, uh, so never live rounds on a movie set ever. There would it would that's never. wow. Okay, no, no, not actual bullets. Now they do 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 blanks, uh, and but there's danger with blanks as well because they shoot what's called a wad out, depending on how much gunpowder is put beneath it that can can expel. Um, so many, you know, many don't use live blanks, and there are many shots that don't require them where you use a rubber gun and put a flash in in post-production, which is a much safer way to go. But many directors want to get the, the feel of uh, realism, and it can happen safely if you do follow the protocols. So you, uh, you know, you're in California, and this is what you do. You you teach uh, up and coming people who would be interested in film on these types of things. Is there some scuttlebutt or rumor going around as to how live bullets got on this movie set? Yeah, I've heard a rumor, and you know, it doesn't surprise me that you know they had the, the weapons there, and that at, in the evenings that some of the crew may have gone and shot at targets. Uh, and then the the actual ammunition got mixed with the blanks. Um, so, you know, I could see that happening if you're out in a rural area. Uh, but that's exactly why the protocols would exist to check that the gun is empty, show it, <laughs> demonstrate that, that it's empty, you know, from uh, the, the weaponsmith to the first AD, then the first AD and the weaponsmith to the actor, and then the actor itself. Then also, you shouldn't, you know, when you actually have the gun, even when, when it's empty, you shouldn't be pointing at anyone or pulling the trigger. And that sort of happens in the blocking of a shot. So you cheat the angle to make it look like it's pointing at someone 
when the angle is actually off. So in case there were any mistake, uh, it wouldn't have such a tragic result. Sounds like there were a lot of things that were not followed here. And uh, I guess it's not surprising knowing these things now that there are charges. Let's let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to break this down a little bit. I'm here talking with Professor Dan Leonard, who is an expert on protocol and movie sets and safety. And you're listening to WGN. We're talking about the charges against actor and producer Alec Baldwin for the unfortunate death um, uh, on the movie set Rust. We've heard about it now for um, over a year, and charges were finally formally brought uh, against Alec Baldwin and the armorer. And I'm here with Professor Dan Leonard, uh, who is an expert at this type of topic, and he teaches um, at Chapman University in California. Uh, Thanks again for joining us. Professor Leonard, you used the term, um, I I think you said it was a weaponsmith or a weapon... I, I forgot exactly. The weapons handler. A weapon handler. Uh, the person who's, someone who's hired to just handle all the weapons on a movie set. Okay. Is that is that synonymous with armorer? Because that's the word that is being used in the media. Yes. Okay. And tell us what, you know, when you're an armorer, that's your only job, right? I mean, how busy are you in, in, when you're an armorer on a movie set? I, if you can kind of just speculate, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it depends on the the set. You know, if you're if you're just uh, two characters and there's a single gun, then there's there's not as much to do. There's only one gun to look after. If it's a whole war scene, you might have a team of people that do it. So, you know, the primary job is the weaponsmith, but the AD is the person who is also ultimately responsible for safety on set. That's wait, so, so, so the, is that the assistant director? Uh, assistant director. Okay, yeah. Okay. I just want to clarify. And then, and then a lot of the work is done in preparation. So, you know, you talk about everything you're going to do before the day of so that you can minimize any sort of risk. And there's technology, you know, the camera person doesn't have to be physically behind the camera. There's remote control, and you can set up a monitor away. Uh, you can set focus and uh, do different things that way so that, there, you know, if you have a, a scene where someone's going to be pointed close to the camera, why do you have a camera person there? There's another way to handle that. So a lot of it is just preparation, pre-planning, and making sure that everything is done in the safest possible manner. Which brings me to a comment, and, and, you know, I think this week when the charges were unveiled, one of the things that the media picked up on was uh, an allegation that Baldwin was not taking these safety meetings seriously, that there were supposed to be these meetings that went for an hour each morning or before the scenes were shot or, or where there was a rehearsal and that he was busy texting and doing other things and he was not taking it seriously. On, on a movie set... Are, are there such meetings, these safety meetings? And can you tell us a little bit about how uh, those things work? Yeah, there's there's a, a safety meeting each day at the beginning where you talk through the work of the day with particular attention to anything that would have some sort of risk. So, you know, handling of guns would have risk, or if you have stunts, you'd be talking about those sorts of things and what measures are put in place so that everyone's aware and can do their job effectively to keep everyone safe, which is no one, was, no one should lose their life on a, on a movie set. You know, uh, it's our job to really minimize that. Right, right. I mean, it's just a movie. <laughs> right. And that's why I think yeah. this story has just really stuck out to people that, you know, that this should never have happened. It just seems just so wrong in so many ways. You know, there was a movie, and I, it's called Midnight Something. If it was Midnight Runner, it wasn't Midnight Express, but I believe there was a scene where there was a train trestle. And uh, unfortunately, the, mm-hmm. a train actually was, was in the vicinity at the time, and no one knew it was going to be, and it actually 
killed somebody. Do you remember the story? I think it was out in Georgia. Yeah. Yeah, it was an assistant camera person. Yeah. They, they had not permitted to go on the train track, uh, and so they didn't necessarily know the schedule, and they had just done it in a gorilla sort of area. It's so another tragedy, which did not need to happen if you just followed protocol. You can do it safely. You can, you can make that vision happen. But oftentimes on low budget, particularly low budget film, they try to cut corners and don't follow all those safety protocols. They don't hire adequate staff or do adequate uh, pre-planning, and that results in tragedies. And, and I want to get to that because that has been the mantra of the people on the set that there were issues. But just going back to that uh, instance of Midnight Runner or whatever the name of the movie was, there were two individuals, I believe, who pled guilty to uh, some crime. I don't know if it was involuntary manslaughter or neg- negligent homicide or some, some type of crime and actually did some jail time for that. So it's not unprecedented that uh, actors, uh, producers uh, do get charged with these things. I don't think it happens very often. Uh, Professor Leonard, you uh, mentioned the low-budget nature of some of these films and how these problems happen. Is it fair? Is that a fair defense to say, hey, this is a low-budget movie, um, you know, it, we, we, didn't, we cut corners because we didn't have the money to do it? Or can low-budget movies be made safely? They, they certainly can be made safely. And some of it is just putting in the work. And, you know, the hope with this is you know, nothing's going to bring Helena back is that it provides a safer workplace for those in the future and those that come. Uh, that's really the the hope is that, that once there's a little bit more responsibility, that people think and uh, put safety first before the, the need to get the shot. Absolutely. And one of the things I want to parse here from a legal standpoint is I've been doing some commentary on, on this topic. And, you know, I'm being asked, well, you know, how couldn't Baldwin have relied upon the armorer or the assistant director or whoever handed him the gun? But he also has duties as a producer, which are different than as an actor. And so as a producer, Professor Leonard, what, tell me how the 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 protocol in movie production kind of, you know, what, what, what are his obligations for the movie set safety? Well, he's ultimately responsible to put the team together in place that has a safe environment. So hire, you know, involve involvement in hiring the right safety folks, making sure that the protocols run. That certainly, you know, he sort of has both the producer and the actor as the actor. He's the last line of defense. If, if anyone along the chain had had recognized something or, or followed a protocol, she'd still be alive, you know. Um, or you know, if he pointed it just off angle rather than pointing it directly at her, you know. There, there's so many ways this could have been averted. But you know, as a producer, you're 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 supposed to be leading that charge to set that safe environment. If he's not sort of paying attention or didn't put the right people in place, then he does bear some responsibility for that. So we touched upon this, but I guess I just want to get the play-by-play. So Alec Baldwin is rehearsing a scene in which he is to use a gun and point it at somebody. I'm not even sure who it was to be pointed at. Tell me, like, kind of the slow-mo of what is to, what is to happen with this gun. Who has the gun, and then what proceeds from there? Well, in in uh, if it's being followed, the the gun would be with the armor. The the AD would be on set. They would call for the gun to be brought to set. The armor would check, make sure it's uh, empty, bring it over to the AD, show that the cartridge is empty and there's no round in the chamber. Show the actor, put it shut, give it to the actor. 
they would do the either shot or rehearsal, and then once they're done with that, the AD would say, uh, call them back and give a gun back to them to hold until the next use. Okay. And so that, you know, I, I sense that, you know, from knowing what I know about prosecutors, they are going to, first of all, put on an expert uh, to say what the what the rules are, the general rules are. What are the standards in the community? And when I say the community, the, the movie community, as to how these things would happen. And then they're going to methodically show how these rules were broken, not only by Alec Baldwin uh, as an actor who had the gun, but as to the people on the set who maybe weren't doing their jobs. Um, you know, right. Dan, do you, do you know, I, I ask you because you are in this business, and I'm sure this is something that you and your colleagues talk about, but what do we know about this armor, uh, Hannah Gutierrez Reed? Uh, there, was, there were some unkind things written about her in the media, and maybe they're villainizing her now, but there was some idea that perhaps she wasn't uh, very competent or experienced. Is, is that what you're hearing? Yeah, my, my understanding is that this is, you know, maybe her second or third um, large film or, or indie film, and so she made the jump from assistant to being the responsible party. And she's the daughter of uh, a, an armor smith who's been doing it for years. Um, so um, that that would always be a concern. If I were a producer hiring someone who is fairly new to the position, I would try to make sure that my protocols were clean to make sure if there's any error, there's, there's redundancy. The whole idea of having redundancy is that it's not just one person responsible. There's multiple places where something could be caught in a burden. Yeah, like, you know, checks and balances all the way. Um, you know, I, I was uh, talking to a friend of mine at Cinespace in Chicago. It's one of our biggest film production facilities. I, I, I highly recommend if you can ever take a tour of it, you do. It's where um, the Chicago Fire and a lot of other uh, Empire uh, are filmed, and it's just a really interesting place. It's got movie sets, um, a bunch of them. Anyway, I went into the post-production area where they take the film and they they can make it snow if it's not snowing and they can make it uh you know they can make people speak uh german if they want they they can make a car fly in the air that didn't fly in the air and it's amazing what they can do with it so why don't they always do post-production with guns why don't they always make the gun go off noise wise uh fire wise smoke wise in post-production well, some there is a little bit of cost to it. I'd say a gun flash is one of the easiest things to do in post production. At Chapman University, we do not allow any blanks uh, for safety, so we can only use rubber guns or, or guns that have the pin removed, so you can't fire them, and nothing could come out of them. And we do it all in post production. So if college students can do it, you would think the industry could as well. There's also you know when you're when you're firing a gun, there's some physical limitations because the flash is so quick. And, you know, a camera has a shutter, so it catches every, every like, half of reality, so to speak. But sometimes when they fire the gun, you can't even see the flash, and they've got to add it back in and post or shoot it multiple times so that they catch the, the, the flash that they're looking for. But many directors want that feel of, of it on set, have the reaction. But to me, it's acting for a reason. You can act like you're hard gun, just like you can act like you're in love or, or afraid of. <laughs> and I, my guess is that on an ongoing basis, we're going to see more of that just because of what happened here. I want to thank you so much, Professor Dan Leonard. Uh, he's a professor at Chapman University in California. Thank you for taking some time off your Sunday and uh, take care of yourself. All right, thank you very All much. All right, take care.